This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Got a good guest here, one that I spend a lot of time with. Justin Fabian is the field producer, aka cameraman. Um, but he doesn't like to be called that, that has been with me for the last year and a half. So we're going to go over Justin's past history and, and really dig into, because we get a lot of questions on social media, what it's like being a field producer, getting to travel all over. So we'll get to hear right from Justin on, on his thoughts and what he likes, what he doesn't like about it. How are you doing today, Justin? Pretty good, man. How about you? Not too bad. I feel like I just saw you a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think I've, I feel like I've seen you more in the last six months than I've seen my own wife. That's probably a true story. So Justin and I just got back from Austria and the days all run together here over the last month, but two, three days ago. So and before that we had uh, British Columbia and then Australia. So yeah, literally we've been together, I think 75% of the time since summer started. Yeah. yeah. So yep. let's, let's start off, Justin. How'd you get, how'd you get hooked on the outdoors? When, when did you start? Oh man, it's, probably a little stereotypical, but, um, just my dad, you know, he, my dad, uh, got me out bow hunting with him way before I could ever even hunt on my own. But, you know, it just kind of took me along and we always hunted on the ground. Uh, he was a big bow hunter. So I always hunted on the ground, like in a, in a blowdown or, you know, a treetop, like logging, logging roads and, you know, snares like that. But I just, remember having some just really cool encounters with deer and other wildlife out there, you know, just hunting, you know, typically like you do in first light and last light and, uh, never got to see him shoot anything, unfortunately, but just those encounters with the wildlife really kind of captivated me. So that's how he started you hunting was bow hunting like that. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a, yep, that's the first time I've, with him. that's the first time I've heard that one. Usually it's, uh, following along in the field with a shotgun or, or sitting in a deer stand, the, the spot and stock archery, that's a, that's a tough first one to get started on. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those things where I just, 
he would always go and I'm like, what, what do you do out there? And he's like, I'm trying to kill a deer, you know? And, um, I'd seen him kill deer like during shotgun season and, and all that. But, um, you know, he always went to, he always had like the deer camp with his buddies and we, I'd be around for that a little bit and just kind of hang around with the guys, you know, but I never really hunted with him because I was so young, like going out with him with a gun. It was like a, yeah, maybe we'll wait, but I got to go out and sit with him as he bow hunted a few times. And it was just like a, a light switch moment, you know, like I, I got to do this. How old were you when that, when you started doing that? Oh, I'll bet you four or five. Oh, early. Okay. Like, yeah, it's funny story about, it. I, I specifically remember the UPS truck coming to our house to deliver my first set of camo. And I was so young. I didn't call it camo. I called it camel. So what, <laughs> what, here's the question. What camo pattern was it? I think it was mossy oak bottomland. Mossy oak bottomland. Right. So we're talking like probably 1989, 1990, somewhere in there. Uh-huh. So, so as you transitioned, um, kind of got you hooked. All right, let's, let's walk you through. Cause and here, here's the reason why I'm asking Justin all these questions. Probably the number one question that we get on social media asked is how do I get into the outdoor industry? And first of all, that's a, it's a broad, broad question because the outdoor industry is a huge industry from somebody that's working at Benelli in their marketing department or accounting department, all the way down to who you see in the field um, on TV. And then if, even if you look at somebody that's a host of a TV show, everybody that's involved to, to put that out of the market, the field producers, the editors, I mean, all along the line, even at the network. So, I mean, there's literally thousands and thousands of jobs in the outdoor industry, but everybody always naturally goes Mm -hmm. to TV or how do I get to be one of the people in the field? And it's a, it's a long answer depending on really what you as a person, um, enjoy and what you can live with. So that's what we're going to ask Justin a lot of that today, because I mean, he's the field producer that's in the field for about 150 to 160 days traveling all over. So how did you exactly get to the point that you are now is what the questions I'm going to, I'm going to ask to try to get out of you. Okay. So when you, when you were like, yeah. So like when you, everybody that I've had on always, the common theme is my dad or somebody in my family took me out at an early age and got me hooked to the outdoors. Same thing. I mean, same thing happened to me. Same thing happened to my youngest daughter. It ignited that passion of, man, I really like to be outdoors. And then all of a sudden that passion turns or morphs into, man, I really love this. How do I do this as a job or how do I get to, to be able to do this as much as possible? Ideally being a job. So let's walk like you, you had that passion at an early age, What'd you go to college yep. for? What'd you, what'd you do after, after high school? Uh, so I, after high school, I went to Paul Smith's college, which is in Saranac Lake, New York. And I got a degree in wildlife science, did a four-year program up there. And um, I did not have a job when I, like, I should, up until the day before I graduated, I had no job. I had applications out, like resumes, you know, just trying to find my first my first job and I was really really undecided on sticking like with the science and research or just getting into the field and you know doing something more hands-on and you know I mean you know me well enough like I science would not have been a good choice um I really enjoy the field work and I mean literally the day before I graduated I got a phone call from 
a ranch in Texas for an internship that paid like $200 a month. And I just, I took it. It was the first job. I was like, yep, I'll be there. So and, when you were planning on college picking your degree, when you picked your degree, when you're in your head, what was, what was the end goal? Once you, once you got the degree set, set it up for, I was doing this so I could get here. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but I didn't really have a, uh, a end goal or a, a place I was trying to get to, or like, a, you know, something to reach. It was just like, get the degree and stay in your field, like pick a focus and like, just let things evolve. And it, that, that sounds, doesn't sound very good to say it like that, but I, it wasn't like I need to be filming for this person or this place by this time. Like, uh-huh. I was just kind of going with the motions and just trying to stay in my field of study. And I ended up working at a deer ranch where I was able to, to guide some whitetail hunts and actually worked in a, a breeding program. So it was, <clears throat> it was a high fenced area as far as the, the deer, you know, raising the deer went like we bottle fed fawns. We did everything from, um, artificial insemination to embryo transfer to, I mean, it even got to the point where they were sexing semen to guarantee buck and doe fawns. I mean, so there was a little, there was a good mix of science in there, but also getting my hands on the animals and like just focusing my attention on whitetails. And that's when the fire was really lit for me, like in a whitetail focused career. Um, I spent five years doing that and ended up managing a 7,000 acre ranch where I continued to guide and ran a breeding program and um, really just came up in the whitetail scene for that five, five or six years until I guided my first TV hunt. And that's when the shift happened. All right. So let's, let's walk through it. And during that five, six years that you were on the ranch, were you loving it every day? Yeah, I, I really did love it. Um, I mean, the work was, was always outside. It was very hands-on. It was, I mean, I would kind of compare it to like farm work anywhere else. And, you know, everything you did during the off season, quote unquote off season would be to benefit you and your hunters during the hunting season. So to me, it was very goal oriented, very focused. And it just, it kept me, it kept me driven to do a good job at it, you know, and everything was to be able to satisfy the hunters and give them a good experience. Now being down in Texas, I assume you, you hunted while you were down there at the same time. Yep. A little bit. I did, um, mainly whitetails and obviously, um, hogs. And we had a few, there was, there was always access to exotic species like axis deer and black mm-hmm. buck and, you know, just the way it still is now. But yeah. All right. So now you've got, you, you had the first TV, was it the first TV crew that hunted where you were on your ranch? Yeah, that was, yeah. The first time I experienced a, a filmed hunt for a show was at that place that I was working towards the end and just seeing what went into it. Like I always, I had a camera that I would just have in my truck driving around, taking pictures of, of the deer and turkeys and just nice scenic photos, you know, just always had a, an interest in a camera, but then seeing how I could use the camera for the hunt or, you know, to, to showcase the hunt, I started doing that just as a way to kind of increase the tip flow at the end of the hunt. So it was just a little, a way for me to make a little extra cash at the end of the hunt. And I started learning how to edit 
a little bit. So I edited those hunts and the tips kept getting bigger. And I was like, man, there's something to this. And, and then the TV show came along. So I kind of had a little bit of a, a little bit of an edge. I wouldn't say edge, but I already had my toe in the water, so to speak. And then I saw what went into producing a hunting show. And I was like, that's, that's the next move. So as soon as, as soon as you saw it in the field, like the production that goes into a linear show, you knew that was, that was what you wanted to work to, even though you're in the outdoor industry, that's, that's the next step of, of my evolution. Yes, that was for me. So walk us through what was after you, after you saw that and you knew that's what you wanted to do. What what did you do after that? I ended up leaving that ranch. I uh, went back to New York. So, so I'm originally from upstate New York and I left that ranch uh, that following spring after that, that TV show was there. And I started picking up other jobs with contractors and, you know, electricians, um, roofers, just doing, doing whatever I could to buy myself the time to, to learn the pr- production better. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to a uh, weekend film school in Michigan at Rusted Rooster. Uh, they were the ones uh, that produced Dropped, you know, the Kiefer Brothers and uh, Rival Wild. Um, so I went through their, their course. And then about a month after that, I went through the Heartland Bowhunter production class in um, Missouri. They held one at the Bass Pro Shop down there in uh, Kansas City. So I just just put myself in a situation to learn from the people who were doing it well and had good reputations. And mm-hmm. then, man, after that, it was just a long road of spending too much money on gear that I didn't know how to use yet. <laughs> you go. You're still doing and that today. Yes. Yes. Still <laughs> doing that. <laughs> but that's, that was kind of the evolution for me from, from college through my first job, you know, and then the transition. But, um, that brings us to kind of the point where I had all this stuff and I was really making a go of it. And I guess your next question might be, how did you, how did you propel yourself into the industry? Yeah. Like what's, what, what, so you've got the, you were in the outdoor industry, you realized you wanted to do something else in the outdoor industry. So you, you, you stopped, yep. kind of went all in to learn. And now you've, you've, you've been in the learning process. You've gone a couple classes. Like what, where'd you pick up your first job of actually being a, a field producer? Yeah. So the very first one was, um, a whitetail hunt back in Texas. So it kind of, kind of went full circle there. Um, it was right the weekend of ATA. I don't, I don't remember what year I want to say it was like 2016 or 2017. Yes. I want to say 16 and it was for the same TV show that I had got back in Texas when I first, you know, when I first got exposed to a production team and, the reason I, I did that was because those guys had to be at ATA for the weekend. So the hunter carved out like two days to do a deer hunt in Texas. So I got I went down there. They called me back to go down and film because he was going to have to leave the hunt and go straight to ATA. So I just took the, the hunt and they, they kept calling me back. And then that that guy on the show ended up going to a different show. And then asked me to follow him over there as his field producer. And 
I mean, it just it turned into one of those things where they started calling me more often. And once that network, once once I started to network with those guys and, you know, put myself on the floor at a couple of the shows and handing out business cards and demos and just just really networking and meeting the people. It was like a slow drip that turned into just, you know, a full glass eventually and ended up working with North American Whitetail a lot. Um, James Kroll, Gordon Whittington, Pat Hogan, and even through their transition, like with all their new guys now, Haynes and um, Layden Force. And it's just been, that was a heck of a journey with those guys. And then uh, they were under the OSG umbrella, Outdoor Sportsman Group. So there was a lot of open doors for work with other publications like Bowhunter Magazine with Kurt Wells, <clears throat> Bowhunter TV. Uh, I got to spend some time with Kurt in BC on a bear hunt. And then it was, hey, do you want to, can you do a weekend shoot with us to do all of our quote unquote studio stuff? Like all the, all the segments throughout like the Dr. Deer or build your own deer factory, you know, shooting the spines for the hunts. Um, just ended up being a three, four day shoot where me and another guy were there to kind of you know, make all those little pieces to put the episode together. And I just remember watching the episode at the end and was like, man, I, I did that. That was, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I wanted to do. Like, that's what I wanted to make. And, you know, three years later, I was finally in a place to be doing it with a bunch of guys and a good group of people. And, um, but again, still, still working on all those odd jobs, like the contractors and, um, ended up doing a bunch of scuba diving work in the summers because it paid a lot, a lot better. But I mean, it was always out of town. I was working three to four hours away from home, four days a week, you know, seasonally, mm -hmm. just to sack enough money away to justify the time off or the time I wouldn't be on, on the water in the fall and winter, you know, just, just to justify, you know, five or six hunts throughout the fall to be able to film. It what to be just to justify to be able to be on those hunts to be able to film yeah 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 and it's i did that all the way through through 2017 and in 2018 like in february of 2018 i just kind of had a come to jesus moment with myself and by this time i was married so it was like i either need to go all in or drop it all together like all in or all out mm -hmm. and my wife looked at me and was like you spend all the money and the time, like you have a good network. She's like, go for it. If you can, if you can find a place, like let's, let's move if we have to. She's like, I can work at just about any university and ended up, I applied for a position with Midwest Whitetail in uh, late January of 2018. And three days later, I was on the phone with Bill Winkie and Jared Mills. Uh, four days after that, I was in Iowa with a job offer. So within a week, we kind of answered the question of what are we going to do? <laughs> You're going in full time. Yeah. And yeah. Moved, moved out to Iowa, uh, early March. And I mean, that's, I'm still in Iowa now, but I had a short run with Midwest whitetail, uh, about a year and a half, two years, I guess a year and a half, two years. And, uh, man, you want to talk about, the production factory, anybody who's watched that show, just those guys are turning out hunts and episodes like semi live before anybody else 
was even on the bandwagon and it's like i think it has a lot to do with how successful they were and i mean i i can't give them enough credit for for kind of setting the pace of of how to do things well they were the first digital. they were the first ones that truly led that digital charge of in the quick i think yeah. that the key part that you mentioned there is is the semi live factor of it so you're in like yep. if you if you think about it now like it's it's so crazy because I've I've been in the industry nine years but when I started nine years ago it was a hundred percent common practice of your partners would give you this product that they want you to highlight in the shows and they would give that to you for the fall knowing darn well that those episodes are not going to get out until either Q1 Q2 most likely Q3 Q4 the next year yeah so they were planning twelve months ahead and really you were in the field a year in advance from when the shows would actually go, go out and, and be viewed. Right. I mean, you know how, think about how crazy that is now. Like it just, the, yeah, the, like, the mind, it, it, the mind thought of the mind thought of, I'm giving you this. We really want to highlight it a year from now. How much changes in, yeah, in a I, year? It's just insane. Yeah. I think if you're doing that now, I mean, there's still a place for it. And I, I mean, I don't think that, linear show like tv shows i don't think it'll ever go away but there's a lot more power you know marketing power in the digital space now because of how quick you can represent a product or a company or not even just the marketing but just the the number of eyeballs you can touch and i you like, know as a on the internet versus tv and that's a like i look at it from a, a couple different ways but like from a company that's designing products they used to go through to where they could do one design change in a 12 month period. Cause they would do the design change, get it to somebody. Then they got to create the marketing. Then the marketing would go out. Now, if you look yeah. at how quick products change and evolve, well, you don't have to wait for that whole marketing cycle to go and take place. You can literally do an instant. Now I've got it. Let's get some marketing behind it. Two weeks later, the marketing's out. Now we can start selling it. You get the feedback. Perfect. I did a small order. Now I'm going to get some replace it or modify it, change it. Now I'm going to do this whole cycle again. And you see like, like I look at it from a producer standpoint, like the products keep getting so much better, so quicker because you don't have to wait that 12 months for that whole marketing piece to take place. And, and yeah. you mentioned it really good. Like Bill and the, and the Midwest Whitetail crew was the first one to really do the digital space of, and do it, do it good. Like do it efficiently and, and high quality, productions and so forth but during deer season like we, we view all of our numbers on shows like right now not many people are watching digital hunting shows because it's the middle of summer but you know what give it yep. a month let's get into september and kentucky deer season starts and the rest of them are right around the corner well now all of a sudden views on deer hunting videos go through the roof because that, that's what everybody's doing they they're they want to see what they're doing and now everybody like i mean think about the videos that we turn during season like we'll be in yeah. the field and literally five days later, sometimes we'll have the finished edited video done and shoot, that took a day and a half of just mail time for the drive to get to somebody. Yeah. Like it's, cra it's crazy yeah, it's the turnaround times now. Yeah. And it's, I just, I want to go back to what you said about, about the views and like how the episodes roll out. But like, as far as seasonality goes, like, no one else is putting out deer content right now or any hunting. Like we're getting ready to like, you're seeing some yep. velvet mule deer stuff come out. Cause Utah has been open for a week and you know, some sheep hunts are starting to hit, hit YouTube. But again, that power of Midwest whitetail and like, just because they, people know what they are. They released their chasing November series a week ago. And as of today, like the 22nd is when we're recording this and 
Chasing November season seven has been out for a little bit over a week. Some of their videos have two and 300,000 views on them already. It's crazy. When no, when no one else is, you know, putting that content out, but yep. like going back to like what people expect and like how they were trained and knowing what, what that show does, it's like, they're, they're never gonna, they're never gonna screw that up. That and they were the, it's just incredible with digital, with digital marketing. And I mean, just the episodic stuff can do when you, when it's done right. And being the first, this is, this is a key one from business person, being the first to market and what they were the first ones to do it good on the digital scene. Yeah. So like if you're one of the first ones, you always grow that, that following just before it kind of becomes yeah. commonplace. And if you're the one, if you're the one production house that's doing it versus now there's a million people putting videos out to where it's saturated. Like when they, when they grew that audience early and did it correctly, it wasn't saturated. Like just, just go to YouTube and, and, Type in um, archery deer hunting and see how many videos pop up now. Yeah. And some good, yeah, some bad. There's to be the only one that popped up. Yeah, now exactly. 7, and same thing, like that That same concept goes back to social media too, like Facebook and then into Instagram. Mm. Like you look at some of the large influencers. Well, they were the first ones that went onto Instagram and, and really did it well when it wasn't saturated with, with hunting people doing the same thing. You could get that early, yeah. early audience. Hey everybody, I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at gunworks.com. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. Yeah, but I think there'll be another transition to something. I mean, I mean, you know, like you, you can usually, if, if you're in, if you're in the space deep enough, like especially the marketing guys, like you can kind of get a feel for what's coming next. Mm -hmm. But honestly, like if you ask me right now or even our marketing team, like what's the next thing, like what's going to replace YouTube, what's going to replace Instagram, what's going to be the next semi live. Like, I don't think anybody knows that answer yet. Like, it, you can it, usually tell where things are going, but right now it's like, I don't think anyone has that answer. It hasn't, it hasn't come yet. Well, f I think like four or five years ago when you're walking around ATA or shot show, like all the, all the companies are asking, well, I need to be in digital. Well, at that time, what did digital mean? Like everybody had linear, linear yeah. shows that they were set up on the schedule as I film for three months and then they get edited and I go to the shows. Like I'm only, it's really only a three month gig for me when you're, when you were a host. And then they all started asking for digital and everybody's like, what, what does digital mean? Does it mean Facebook and YouTube and, and like, what does it mean? Well, I think now fast forward four or five years later, digital means as many places as you can get your content out online. That's how I look at it. It's not one specific spot. It's a waypoint. It's YouTube. Um, it's yeah. living on websites. Yeah. It, like as many times as you can get in, in, and here's the big one, constant content that people want to see, make it relevant. Like there are a lot of people that do yeah. constant stuff, but it's not relevant. It's, it's really not. Yeah. So you start to see people struggle after a long time because they're putting the same video out every two days, but it's, it's really the same thing. And there's a million other people doing it. So what separates you from doing that one thing than the other million people? 
So you're you're sitting there right. spinning your spinning your wheels, and I think that's where a lot of the uh, the traditional linear TV show hosts struggle because they've been doing it on linear for twenty years, and now all of a sudden you're like, no, you don't just film for three months; you film for twelve months, but it's shorter. So we're yep. doing we're doing these info pieces and shorter hunts, and now we got to turn it and make yourself relevant. And a lot of those people are just like, man, screw that. I'm not. This is I. I they struggle if you look at that traditional linear host group the majority of them really struggled going to digital content yeah 100 percent they have it's and i think that's i think if you look at a lot of people who are probably i guess like the top tier shows i i think if you went back and looked at it you'd find that the people that were like the best rated on linear tv they were they went all in all eggs in that basket and they mm-hmm. missed the digital revolution you know and like i think a lot of people lost value if yeah. they didn't get on that bandwagon and that and that's where it kind of circles back to what we were just talking about is that that first one to be relevant in the space grows all the early followers to where yeah, no, there's no doubt. to where if you look at the leading 10 probably linear TV shows, they didn't get into the digital space until a couple years after like a winky started and so forth like that so now all of a sudden yep you're starting to get saturated. Yeah. You've got a huge name in the linear space, but trying to go to digital. And here's another one I want to talk about. Like I'm a big believer because we are our content on linear, on digital, on social. Like it basically the mindset switch to air our content as many places as possible. One of the things I, I don't know if others talk about this, but the linear, the people that watch linear is a different bracket than the people that watch a YouTube. That's a different bracket than watch waypoint. That's a different bracket that's on Instagram or that's on Facebook or that's yeah. on any of these. They're all different brackets of people. Yes. You have some crossover to where somebody will watch a linear show and then go to YouTube and Google something and then catch you on Instagram. But those in reality are extremely rare that somebody crosses over yeah. all those platforms a lot. If Very you, rare. if you think in, if you think about this linear people are traditionally older because they grew up watching TV, then you have the social media, which are the, like I call the youngsters cause they're like, they'll watch YouTube, but most of it they get is what it is on Snapchat, Instagram, um, TikTok, like yeah. all that. And then you have this middle group that's kind of in between that they don't really watch linear, but they'll, they will watch the YouTube videos because they're trying to learn more and they're somewhat on social. So you've got these different age groups, income brackets, like you've got them all. And I think that's why like we, we just switched on, on our brands to go, man, we need to get in front of everybody. Because yes, you need to be on yeah. the social media because eventually the 20 year old on social media is going to be a 35 year old. That's a dad that has more time to go hunting. Like you gotta, you gotta be able to get him early, keep him engaged all the way through the process. Yep. And it's, I always compare it to like, um, print publication, mm-hmm. like what this, it's going to same, the same effect as when like the internet came out, right? You've got 45 to 75 year old consumers out there who would still rather subscribe to a magazine for 25 bucks a year than go on YouTube and watch, watch a show. Yep. They want to read about it. They want to see the pictures, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they want to look in the back of the catalog for whatever. I don't even know what they put in them now, but that's where you go to find, you know, a hunt booking, like the old Cabela's catalog, yep. you know, or, you know, just whatever. Like if you just dial it back or forward, I guess, dial it forward 20, 25 years, we're in that same position now with the transition between digital and, and linear. And there's going to be people that 
only watch TV and then people that only go on YouTube yep. or Waypoint, you know, but within those markets, you're still going to have the diehard YouTubers, the diehard Waypoints, the diehard Carbon TVs, the diehard social medias. Like you just 100% have to be present in all of them. In all of them to be successful. And it's so much. I mean, yeah. just different formatting for, for video edits and, you know, whether it's a vertical play for like a cell phone like instagram reel or if it's a horizontal you know and then the different sizes of thumbnails for waypoint carbon tv like all the assets that go with everything you put out i mean there's so much to it well let's to be say, able to stay relevant and stay present it's like you, you don't just turn in one video and say sweet i'm done oh this is, pro- this is probably a good spot so let's <laughs> let's walk through like a trip that we do so let's take let's take austria so we just got back from okay. austria a couple days ago so the different, the different things that we captured in Austria and where they will go. So you mentioned, let's just start. We'll have social, which are our regular pictures from the field that we'll try to show, show the hunt, the area, animals, like the whole culture, everything in, in, still, in still pictures. Now we have reels that will go out that is a completely different edit from anything else. Just, it's just an edit for a reel. Then we'll also have a digital edit. We'll probably actually have numerous digital edits from this trip to where one of the people on the team is going to be editing that for digital, which we've got a new video that comes out every week. And then there's going to be a different edit for linear, which Adam, who was on the trip with us, is going to edit that, and that'll, that'll air later this year for linear. So all from one trip, the different things that you're capturing. And here, this is, this is me. I'm... I truly got the easy job. I'm just hosting. So I'm carrying a gun around shooting stuff all the time. But like when you, when you, when you and Adam were there, like you guys have got this mental checklist of being like, I need to get this. I need to get this. I need to get this because it's shot different. Like explain the difference between what you're trying to capture in a finished video. That's a real versus a digital versus a linear. Yeah. So, um, I think I'll, I'll back up. Like, just a little bit, I'll preface this with, you know, when, when you and I first started working together, we always had a couple of people on a shoot because we were filming for the North American waterfall slam. Mm-hmm. But then there's also times after that where if it's an easy hunt or just a quick hunt, sometimes it's just you and I, like as you know, me being one field producer with you to film, take pictures, you know, and, and obviously film for everything you just talked about, the linear, the digital, the social, you know, all the promotional stuff, product, you know, partner product, deliverables, all that stuff. But having two people on that shoot or not just the one, but going forward, we've added a second shooter to a lot of stuff, even when it's just you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how much stuff there is to cover. But um, usually if in, in my mind, like in Adam's mind, Lee, Aaron, if we shoot for linear and get everything we have to get for linear, you have more than enough to get your digital episode. Mm-hmm. But within that, you have, you know, you've got usually a travel sequence of getting you to the location, you know, airport, driving around, uh, time lapse out the windshield, drone shots, you know, vehicle pulling in, like pulling out, whatever the case may be, like break it down in your head by segment with four segments per show. And you have like, you have your travel, your arrival, the shake hands, how you doing, what's the plan? Seg two, set up, hunt, whatever. Segment three, kill. Segment four, recovery. 
you know, and it's just like, it's, it's not quite cookie cutter because things happen in a hunt and Mm -hmm. you don't always get that natural evolution of that perfect process. But that's the difference in my opinion, between a camera guy and a field producer, like the producer is going to know where you are on that storyline and what you've got, what you don't have, what you still need to get. And it's just, I mean, you know, like as, as things happen, like, like Argentina, sorry, let's go back. We're talking about Austria, Mm -hmm. but like, like, like your dad's gun didn't show up and Adam's camera gear didn't show up. We have two cell phones, a GoPro and a Canon R5. I got there and my other camera was broken, got damaged, had to call you or text you because you were a day behind and say, hey, bring your other camera. If this mm-hmm. one's shot, something happened in travel. So your dad's now there <laughs> by himself. For the day. We have one camera to use, two cameras between the two of us, still knocking out the episode. And it's like, okay, now Mark's going to get here. We still have the same camera equipment. Because up, but you know, we killed two stags, a mouflon ram, um, a couple of Russian boars, and then we moved on to to hunt ibex. And between two locations, there's plenty of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just setting up all those different elements of the hunt and how things happen. You know, and then you throw in the fact that you're hiking for, you know, six to, what was the longest day we did? Like 14 oh. miles? Yeah. And you killed your ibex? Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, th- I think I got a little off out of the question there. So are you telling me you got fatigued on that day? Is that what you're telling me? I was a little fatigued, yeah. A little fatigued. A little bit, but little. I don't think we missed anything, did we? I don't think so. You got you got the marmot at the end. That's all that we got we got what? You got the marmot at the end. That's all that matters. The marmot. Yeah, we yeah. got the marmot for sure. Definitely got marmot. Justin but missed. It was, it was a great trip because Austria is one of the spots that's actually illegal to shoot marmots, so. I did get a marmot. Yeah. <laughs> but production wise, it was a really good hunt. Um, a lot to work with, with everybody involved. There was seven of us out there. Once you, once you got, got into camp there and, um, a lot of good variety of animals and just a cool, a cool hunt on an awesome animal, you know, in a really unique place. So the location does give you a lot to work with. And then you throw in cultural aspects and different people and accents and, you know, conversation between you and a guide or you and, um, what was his name there? Uh, Johan or, um, no, Bernhard. the other one, the Bern- guy, that, Bernhard. Yeah. yeah. He could, he didn't speak any English and he's talking in German and he's wearing lederhosen and it's just a really cool, unique hunt. Yeah. It was awesome. So here's a good spot. What is the difference between a field producer and a cameraman? Because here's, here's one thing for anybody that's listening. Field producers get extremely upset if I call them cameramen, which I do just to piss them off now that I know it makes them upset. <laughs> yeah, kind of like saying my last name wrong on purpose. Yeah, we, I, we missed that early. Yeah. I like, I like, to, I like to, And I do it on purpose. Now that Here's the one thing about me. If, yeah. you, if you say something to me like that, so I call it Justin Fabian. It's Fabian, but I call it Fabian yes. just because I know it upsets him now. So every time I make sure to introduce him, I drag out his last name and say it incorrectly just, just to get him all worked yeah. up to start the trip. It sounds a little more bougie. It does. It sound like French or Fabio, <laughs> Fabian. It definitely as I, yep. this is Justin Fabian. 
Um, well, to answer your question, you know, you said, what's the difference between a field producer and a camera guy or a cameraman? I mean, you know, like I said, talking about Austria, my, in my opinion, the difference is knowing where you are in your storyline, like as you're shooting, um, and, you know, being able to recognize where you are, like in a, in an episode where you are in what segment, like we've done this, we've got that, this gets us to here. Okay, now we got to talk about this, reference that, set us set us up in case something else happens. Like maybe your dad's gonna shoot first today. Mm-hmm. You know, give me a little one liner. Be like, I think I'm think I'm gonna have dad shoot. You know, this might be his last IBEX hunt. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell dad to shoot first, or whatever the case may be. But constantly looking back and looking ahead to know what what you what you still need to get. Mm-hmm. You know, just to have a complete storyline. You know, full circle episode. Um, so really, I mean, you can give anybody a camera and they're going to push record and point it in the right direction. I mean, to me, that's a cameraman. Like uh-huh. those are the guys that probably don't ask for a lot of money if they're charging any, anything, you know, they might be the guys who just want to trade product, but, yep. um, you know, I, I learned a long time ago that when you agree to do something for free, you accept the fact that you bring no value to the equation. So hold yourself to a standard charge for your work and you're going to get a lot more notoriety and respect from people you work with. Don't and, just give your stuff away. And on that, on that note, if you give something away for free, the person that you gave it away to for free expects it for free every time, every single time. So yep. somebody, somebody that has a camera and be like, I'm going to do this for free just so I can get my name out there as a tough, tough way to go because the person yeah. that you made that deal with is now in the back of their mind locked in that I'm not going to have to pay this guy. Right. Like you're going to feel good because your phone's going to ring. Yep. But at the end of the day, you're going to come home with, with the, you know, with no check in your hand, nothing's going to, you're not going to get paid. They're going to just be like, Hey, let's trade out this hunt. Come film my outfit. You know, do that once or twice. Like if you're making money somewhere else, but yep. like, don't make that the standard of how you want to operate your, your life as a hunter or a producer for that matter. But that's, so this that's is, just a, a quick way to the bottom. This is a, this is a good, this is a good transition here. So a lot of people have, so if you if you follow Justin's story along and what we've been talking about here, he's had the, pa- he's had the passion for it. He was in the outdoor industry. He realized he didn't want to do what he was doing. He wanted to be a field producer after experience in the field went, did the training, got it, got into the industry accepted. So now let's talk about in, in the outdoor industry, now that you're cameraman or field producer, now let's talk about what that actually means. What does it mean for making money? What does it mean for being busy? So I'm going to, I'm going to start off here and I'm going to answer it from, from my perspective of having employed field producers, um, having a a team of five, which I mean, our team of five is like an all-star team now, if if I look at it, but having a, a team of five, that's, that's full-time and on salary compared to all, all how a lot of field producers are in the industry now. So when I started, I always used subs. Um, so these are like when, when Justin was mentioning, when, when you're a sub field producer, you're charging a daily rate and you're trying to fill up your schedule with as many trips as possible. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, yeah, this, and when you say sub, you just mean you mean subcontract, subcontract, like a self-employed yep. producer. Yes. Yep, yep. So yep. this is this is some. So he may work with, like I had somebody that would be with me three or four times a year, and then he would be, he would be with ten other people throughout the year because they're just trying to get as many days on the calendar as possible to film, and they charge daily rates. Yep. Usually, the the more days somebody books you for, the less the daily rate, and so forth. So it gets ext- as and Justin will test to this when you get a chance to talk, but it gets extremely cutthroat. If I'm charging 800 bucks a day or 250 bucks a day, so now all of a sudden it's the host looking and going, well, I'm going to Africa and I'm going to be gone 21 days. I, I'm not going not gonna to have somebody that I'm charging 800 bucks a day for there. Maybe I bring two guys that I'm charging 250 bucks a day for. Or you find that happy mix. Maybe, I, maybe in my budget I can, I can really afford to have somebody that's 450 bucks a day. And the benefit for that's a host would be me is if I, if I use subcontractors is I don't have to cover their insurance. I don't have to do, um, the unemployment stuff. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't have to do. Now the downfall is I don't, that person's not with me all the time. And anytime I have them, it's a day rate. So I can charge whatever it is. If I got to have them come in for a three day product shoot, I know it's going to be 1200 bucks plus his travel, plus his travel yep. to get here and everything. Now let's flip that around on, on that field producer. If I'm, if I'm a subcontract field producer, this is how I always looked at it. Subcontract field producer. Well, the, the majority of the outdoor industry is filmed October, November, December, March, April, May. Those are, yep. those are the six months. Because if you traditionally think about 85% of the TV shows that are on, on linear or the stuff you watch online, it's a whitetail or turkeys. So those are the six months, like you have to be busy those six months. And when I say busy, I mean seven days a week, I have to be filming somewhere, somebody, because I know there's six months out of the year that are going to be extremely tough. January, February, March, like there's some fishing that is filmed, not nearly as much as what is in the hunting space. Um, It's just, it's different. So you look at the people the subcontractors that are successful are the ones that those six months, they are filled up and they're filled up usually a year in advance because if, if somebody really likes you, they're going to be like, man, I got this trip next November from the 7th to the 14th. Yeah. Are you good? And they'll literally book you a year in advance. Like if you're a good field producer, if you're a field producer that's yep. charging 250 bucks and you're free for the next six months, I might, you probably got to rethink about what you want to do. Yeah. That's, so are you, are you done with that thought before I respond? Uh, the only the only other thing is like that's that's a subcontractor, and then there's, I would say a sliver, or a small percentage, of field producers that are full time. Like we've got five full time guys on on our staff. Yeah, there's some of the other large linear shows that has one or two, and then there's companies that would have one or two that they fill into marketing type type roles, um, and that's that's. 
that's where I'm going to end it. Now, I'm, you've, you've been on both sides of the coin. You'd be 100% honest. Did you like being a subcontract field producer? Because there's freedom that comes with that, too, because almost everybody that's yeah. a field producer loves to hunt. Well, if I'm filming hunts for the three months of hunting season and then the three months in the spring, that doesn't mean I get to hunt at all. So, like, there's, right. that's, there's give and take on, on both sides. Like, you've done both. What did you like? What didn't you like about being a subcontractor? What do you like? What don't you like being a, being a full-time salary person? Man, it's, this is a pretty honest conversation to have with the guy who signs my check, but. That's true. Yeah. Um, so what don't you like about your current situation? Tell me. No, but yeah, I mean, and I, I know I can say this without any kind of judgment because I've been there on both sides of the coin with you specifically, but being a subcontractor, I really loved the freedom that I had in creating my own schedule, being able to pitch myself to the people I wanted to work with. You know, I mean, there's people I said no to you know, that I, that I refused to work with. And, you know, there's people that I was like, I held on a, on a pedestal saying, I got to work with this person, like mm-hmm. somehow some capacity, but you know, if I, I really like the money. Um, if you're grinding and if you're willing to give up your, your hunting season, your schedule and you want to, and you're good at what you're doing, if you can charge four five, six, seven hundred bucks a day and you can book yourself solid for that six to seven month time frame out of an entire year, you just bought yourself, you know, four to five months, three to four months of freedom the rest of the year. Like you mm-hmm. can make a solid income just in that time frame if you're good enough and people call you enough to charge, you know, five to five, let's say five to seven hundred dollars a day. Yep. But to your point, if someone calls you and says, I have a two week a fourteen day trip to Africa, are you free? I'm, yeah, I'm free. I'll do five fifty a day. Well, I'm if I take you for all 14 days, can you cut me a break? Like I might take a hundred bucks off, but you know, I'm only saving that guy 12, $1,300 at yep. the end of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it, it's just, it's a catch 22 because if you don't want to work with that person, you may not get the job. And if you don't get the job, nothing says you're going to book that same 14 days at your full rate anyway. So it's like yeah. the decisions you have to make as a contractor for your own business, for your own, you know, personal finances and well-being like it's a tough thing to to think through and to weigh out but um you know having that money only buys you time but on the opposite side of the coin when you're full-time with somebody the first thing you always do like anybody will tell you this who's made the transition is you instantly break down your workload and figure out man i'm only I'm only making 200 bucks a day or mm-hmm. I'm making 1675 an hour. Like you start looking at the money and the time very differently than you did when you were a contractor. But then when you start thinking through that process, it's like, okay, now I have health insurance. Now I have 401k. Now I have a guaranteed paycheck for mm-hmm. this much every two weeks or at the end of every month, like long-term it's definitely a more stable thing. Like there's no reason anyone should, not consider it. Um, I'm not saying if you're making 300 grand a year as a contractor, like, yeah, you're not going to jump ship and go, go take a salary position for 85 grand. Like no one's going to do that. But I mean, those are the, those are the trade-offs. It's, it's your time, the money. And the biggest thing for me was like the mentality, um, I guess switch you could say of like, 
really what what's the worst thing about this about going full-time like mm-hmm. if i had to pick the worst thing it's um I, I really i really couldn't tell you i mean your schedule is nuts and there's a lot of times where it's like plans change like the day before we're set to leave or you know we got to stay longer someplace but there's also times when you go someplace and you know you kill on the first or second day and a six-day trip just turned into a two-day trip and we're headed home you know, four days early. Mm-hmm. So like you take the good with the bad, but then there's also times where we're sitting like in Austria, like we're sitting there in a beautiful hotel and we're walking down the street and, you know, we go out to an amazing dinner, like world famous restaurant. And it's like, yeah, this is, I can handle this. Yeah. It's you know, definitely Different, it, different life-changing experiences you get along the way. You see things. Oh, for sure. And that's that's probably my favorite thing about about working with you so much is just, you know, my passport is full of stamps, which I love that fact. I've seen, I've seen five of the seven continents so far. Still missing Asia and Antarctica. So like, I don't know. However long we're doing this together, but I mean, I'm I'm here for it, and I, I love. I love the travel. I love the field work. And I mean, I'm not going to say I would never go back to contracting, but I have no, no reason to, and no intention to, as of right now, I've got everything. I, I feel like I've been working for, for 12 years. So what's it? Let's, let's transition a little bit. So what is it like, like, like you, you went broad, like you, and it's, it's a lot more glamorous. Let's just be honest. It's a lot more glamorous when you say like, Hey, we've, cause if you look at, um, I think I told dad, I said, Hey, my, 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 uh, the binos I had had now covered five continents when we were there, yeah. like the, the Leopold binos have been to five continents now yeah. after, after getting into Europe. And it's a lot more glamorous to say that, but if like, think about the last eight weeks, so you transition your body to Australia and then you come back and you're in Saskatchewan and then you're, you're, um, to Peru, to Argentina, like you you bounce all over and yeah. it's always glamorous in the pictures is what I tell everybody. Like, yeah, it looks, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we weren't on the yeah. 33 straight hours of travel to get to Australia and getting yep, there and that's... being all messed up and, and trying to talk to home and like all that, like the non- the non glorious stuff of the whole thing or like a bad day or something bad happened in the field that like there's all that stuff that I guess we try, like we try to show a little bit of the humor side, a little bit of what we do more on the digital because it fits better there. But you really yep. like, like explain to everybody what it's really like traveling. What, what is it like traveling with me? What do you expect? Like, Hey, Mark said, we're going here for five days. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, talking about two sides of the coin, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. There is the, the grind, the grueling part of, of what we do. And it's, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. The travel is where that is the hard part. Um, let's just stick with Austria. Like living in Iowa, I fly from Des Moines and then we, I flew to Chicago and then from Chicago to, um, uh, how does Adam say it? Vienna, 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 um, Vienna for anybody I mean, that's honestly, listening. Yeah, it's Vienna. But honestly, this one was, this one wasn't terrible. Um, you're going East, you're obviously gaining time. So like we leave at 8 PM 
central time from Chicago and we land at what, 7 AM their time. Mm -hmm. So when we get picked up, like we have the entire day ahead of us, like, but we just, it was a nine hour, eight and a half hour flight from Chicago. But like I have an hour and a half drive to the airport. I have another hour flight to Chicago, three and a half hour layover in Chicago and then eight and a half hours to Vienna. Like, I mean, you, you, you've done it. Like you figure out, okay, when do I have to sleep in order to be rested by the time I get there? Yeah. And And usually it's you don't have the time. You can't do that. Yeah. Because by the time you're like, man, I am whooped. I'm tired. Like you look at your watch and it's like, shit, it's, it's 1130 at home for me right now. PM yesterday. Meanwhile, we have two hours until we land in Vienna and it's only going to be 7 AM their time. Like we land over there and the sun just rose. So we get picked up and they're like, we're going to get into camp. We're going to do this. Like, you know, do you guys want to relax? Do you want a coffee? Like, yes, coffee, hundred percent need coffee, but we need to be ready to go in two hours. Yeah. Australia was even worse because the time difference was so much more, but we did, we hunted that day in Australia when mm-hmm. we first got to Marble Island. And that was after 30 some hours of travel, five flights, you know, and it was like, I always, at the end of the day, you still have dump footage, you know, organize the day, make your notes, you know, label a kill shot. Like if there is anything like just all the logging of the footage and everything else at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's not as glamorous, like as the pictures make it seem or like social media, like there's a lot of work that goes I, into it. I don't know. It. There's a lot of work. Yeah. There's so much work it. in the time. And it's like, but by the end of the Australia trip, I'll go back to Australia if you factor in the travel on both sides of the hunt, you know, over there and back, plus the hunting schedule we had with going from hunting on Marble Island and then going back to Queensland and the schedule there, like we were there for what, uh, nine days, I think. Yeah. So in nine, that's counting the travel, right? Yeah. I think at nine or 10 days. So you're talking 60 hours of travel alone, plus eight full days of hunting from sunrise to sunset with maybe like two hours of a break, like to go back for lunch or, you know, if we got done early and we're, you know, having a beer on the porch by six, you know, something like that. But like, again, you go back to calculating your time and your hours. Like I'm not going to put a a dollar amount to that, but the hours alone in those 10 days between 60 hours of travel and say, what do you think? 50 hours, 60 hours of hunting. Yeah, you've got a you've got a ninety to a hundred hour work week, in a matter of nine to ten days, and then you get home and it's like, that's when the when you get home is when the the real work starts. Yeah, you got and you got you got the marketing team and the social guys saying, when are you going to have pictures done? You got other team, you know, they're like, there's other stuff that like they all know we were doing over there. So as soon as you get back, or a lot of times before we even get back, someone's saying. When are you going to have this? When are you going to do this? Are you good to go on Wednesday for that? Meanwhile, there's an episode going out on Wednesday. Do you have the edit done? Do you have the social assets for that? Do you have the teaser? Do you have the click to watches, all the links? Do you have the link tree thing done? Like, do you have the description written, the title? Do you have everything optimized for YouTube? Like, that was a very fast rambled list of things (laughs) that go into just maintaining the schedule, like with deliverables, with digital edits, with filming, with travel. But I mean, that's the reality of, of what we do. Mm-hmm. And there's just as much or more work to do on a computer after a trip as there is to do with a camera on the trip. That's very true. 
So when you're in the field, what pressure, what pressures do you have? Like when the hunt's going on? Um, obviously first and foremost is the storyline, you know, creating the episode of that hunt, but then also kind of looking at the whole hunt through the eyes of social media as well, knowing we have to come home and convey this trip to our social media following usually within, you know, three to five days of getting back from a trip. So constantly like looking at taking photos and thinking about shooting, shoot it vertical for mobile consumption, you know, um, shoot, shoot three videos that, you know, you can make a reel with, you know, to use as a post on Instagram, but then also check the boxes for partner, uh, deliverables, you know, like for us, it's Gunworks, Loophold, uh, Cabela's, you know, just there's, you always have to be looking for the shot. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like, and you know, like I don't, I, I seldom stop you to say, Hey, let's take this quick, this picture real quick. Like I try to get it as things happen. Um, like in BC, we had plenty of time to sit down in glass. Like that BC trip is, is a, is a huge folder of awesome loophole content, like photos and Cabela's photos because of that camel pattern blending in so well and all the rocks. And it's mm-hmm. like, I think the biggest stress holding that camera is just make sure you don't miss anything video wise, like to get the show, to get the content we need to produce the show, but also keep your eye on the fact that we have to come back with partner deliverables, photos, try to get a couple of videos out of Mark for X, Y, or Z. And then, you know, just mentally log that and say, we got this, 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 we still need it, this, this, and that. Um, and in the meantime, still try to just have fun, like Mm, enjoy it, enjoy it. Like, yes, there's a lot to do, but that's why you're there. That doesn't mean it has to take away from the experience you're getting. And that's, I don't know. I don't feel like I get too terribly worked up over the content and like what I need or what I'm going to get at the end of the day. Like I'm, I'm keeping track of that in my head. I try to have more fun and I mean, it's just, it just makes it easier and it keeps your mind right. Be able to just stay creative in the field, which is a huge thing. Yeah. So as I was going through prepping for this podcast here, one of the things I came up with, I said, why to ask you to ask you, why are you always the, the butt end of the jokes? I don't know. Probably cause I just take it. You I just take it back hard enough, right? That's a, that's <laughs> I a, don't know. That's a good one. Once you once you start taking it, because the travel crew gets rough after a while. Like day six, day seven of traveling, everybody's yeah. everybody's worked up, and and now you're in a new camp, and everybody's everybody's loose, everybody feels it. And Justin's always the one that that probably gets picked on the most. Yeah, well, I just tell myself if they didn't like me, they wouldn't do it. Or if they didn't like me, they would do it and be serious about it. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it's all just, it's all just, I don't know. I feel <laughs> like we're, I feel like we're all better friends. Like I don't really, obviously we all work together and like at the end of the day, you're the boss, but we can mess with each other and we can joke and I can throw shade at you. And I mean, I made a fat joke about you the other day. You said something about something being made for, yeah, I bought, I bought two, I bought two smaller shirt is what I did. 
that's what it was. Your yeah. buttons were just screaming. God, it's so small. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was in like European. That. I didn't know what size it was. It looked big enough. I went to yeah. put that thing on to go out to dinner. It was just freaking yep. schmedium on me. Yeah, uncomfortable stuff like for that. four I mean, hours. I don't know if if the day comes where you stop calling me to go on trips or you say something that you know intentionally is just going to piss me off, like at a different level than. You know, we'll be in a different place, but like I said, I think we're all just, we're, we're better friends than anything. And then that's with everybody like Lee, Aaron, Adam, Jack, anybody who's on a trip, it's always, it's always jabs at each other, yeah. no matter what. And it's like, Keep that's it. the other thing. Like I will say to anybody who wants to do this, like you better have thick skin. And I'm not saying just because of, you know, taking jabs at each other, like in the field, but like you need to be you need to be prepared to have someone tell you like what you did isn't what they envisioned or they're going to want it differently. Or you either got to dumb it down or you got to up your game. Like just because you think you did a good job doesn't mean the person you're working for is going to like it. And you need to be able to accept that or else you're not going to, you're not going to get many phone calls. So like a good example that Adam redid the, the intro for the linear show this past yeah, year, five times five times and like he like he was so yeah. excited to show me the first time and i watched it and i'm just like yeah yep yeah that's not what i was thinking at all and i go back yeah. and i and i talk to him and you can hear like he's so deflated on the other side just spent weeks working on this and completely changed yep. it but by the time it was but by the time we got to the the fifth and final edit what it is now i love it and he, he yeah I, and it was on that one like i told him i said listen this is a hundred percent on me. Cause I did a crappy job of explaining to you what I really wanted out of it, what I wanted the feel to be for the intro that sets the show that sets the tone for, for everything I want it to be like, that was on me. I messed up and told you the wrong thing. Not that your the first edit wasn't, wasn't good. It just wasn't what I was, not what I wanted. So I right. think, I think there's lots of times like that where, where we've got a, we've got a, pretty big team that reviews digital linear episodes before we release. So, I mean, obviously we've got how many people, seven, eight people review the videos before they go out. Yeah. That that, that, that's a really hard thing to navigate for us as editors, because you got seven people giving their opinions. Like unless there's a obvious mistake, like there's an open frame in the edit or somebody misspelled something, you're getting the opinions of seven different people Mm -hmm who either weren't on the trip on the hunt or you know they they'll say something like i feel like i've heard this song a hundred times can we please change that it's like i understand what you're saying but you don't understand what goes in like changing music in an edit is the biggest like red flag like not a red flag but like that's that's the quickest way to to irritate your editors like there's so much editing that like you add it to the music, like the the beats, the different different spots in the music to use as transitions, and it's like, yes, I can. Like you're you're not we're not just swapping out one clip for another. Like I've got to change the entire, you know, two minutes of footage that's edited to that song. And it's at the end of the day for us, it's like there's no one saying we're going to change this, this, this. You've just got seven people giving their opinions of what they would do. Mm-hmm. And then they just say, but I'm not an editor. <laughs> it's always a like, classic okay, so what do you want then? 
<laughs> I'm like, okay. If for but anybody, for anybody good. that's listening, the reason we've got the team set up is because everybody has different, different partners that we work with. Um, they've all yeah. kind of got their, their niche. Like the nay catches every spelling error where I won't catch any, any spelling errors. Like yeah. everybody's got their, their reason to watch it. Like Ryan's in charge of the overall brand, like certain things that you want to come out. But it is funny because some of the times you can tell when everybody's got way too much time and they'll start critiquing things down so bad. Yeah. And I, I just yep. sit there and that's usually when I send a one off to whoever the editor is. Yeah. And just be like, let's just do this and this and call it good. And like at the end of the day, what Mark says goes. So yep. I'm glad you, I'm glad you see that and step in when needed. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's good to have a big team that many eyes and like, there's just such diversity amongst our team like somebody's going to see spelling someone's going to see production elements someone's going to hear audio you know differently like aaron with the podcast Mm -hmm. like different people are watching it and picking out different different things and honestly like as an editor myself it's like you put you put 10 20 hours into an episode you watch it 700 times throughout the entire process there's going to be things that you don't pick up on you're going to miss it yeah you're going to miss it so do you get extra eyes on it. It's like, it's just a fresh perspective and you're like, Oh wow. How'd I miss that? So I got one, one more thing I'm going to ask you for anybody that's interested in becoming a field producer. What's some advice that you would give them? Um, the first thing I would say is ask yourself a very honest question. And that is, can I give up my season? Um, you're not going to go on shoots and have your hunter say, here, you shoot now. Or like, let's switch. You take the gun. You like bring your bow. Like that happens sometimes, but don't think you're going to be a field producer and get to hunt. Um, that would be the first thing I would say. Second thing I would say is just, like I said earlier, don't give anything away. Um, understand your value for for what you bring to the table and then that can be based on anything from you know the the gear you have the experience you have your ability to shoot for the editor if it's a if it's a product shoot like your ability to sell um just don't don't cut yourself short um there's definitely definitely a process to it like you've got to start out someplace but you know, you can't come out of the gate saying, here I am, here's what I have, and I'm charging you $600 a day. I think if you do that to somebody who's never worked with you before, or if you don't have much of a portfolio, um, you're not going to get taken very seriously. Yeah. So just keep your finger on the pulse of of the value that you bring and, you know, be careful. be careful what you trade your work for if you're going to do that. Um, something else I didn't say earlier was, you know, a lot of people want a discount <clears throat> the first time that you work with them. Mm-hmm. And I would be, I would be careful entertaining stuff like that as well. Um, if someone wants a discount up front because they don't know the quality of your work, flip the switch on them and say, how about we do full price? And if you want to continue to work, I will discount everything thereafter. Don't give them the break up front. Yeah. Charge them full price and prove yourself. 
and then offer them the discount to guarantee you continue to get the work. Yeah, I go, I go back. It's one thing. If you give a discount right off the bat, they're going to expect it every time. Same thing as, yeah. same thing as, as doing work for trade. Like they expect that all the time. Yep. And that's, I mean, there's, I'm not going to lie. I did that. I didn't do it a ton, but in my, in my, in my evolution of being a field producer, like there was times when I traded certain things, but even now, like there's so many companies that just want like a quote unquote ambassador. And all they want to do is give you product in exchange for a ridiculous deliverables list Mm -hmm. for social media content. And it's like, no, you've got 317,000 followers and you're selling your product for this much money. Like if they have an arsenal or if they've got a group of 25 quote unquote ambassadors who are doing the same thing, they're getting all their content for free. They don't need to buy the producer. They don't need to buy the photographer. And that's what they bank on. Lots of companies that have their marketing plan set up like that now. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's part of that digital revolution because this, this influencer phase or world, which I think is hopefully on its way out. Um, but there's so many people that are willing to do that and it, it's hard to market yourself. So it's like, it, it's a very tough, tough place to get into. Um, but there's people who can find the right, there's producers out there who have found the right client you know, the first time that just automatically launched them into outer space. It's, it's insane. Yeah. So just don't whore yourself out, but you know, hold yourself to a standard. What a great way to end it. Don't whore yourself out. That's a good, that's a good line. That's a great line. Actually. Don't whore yourself. Maybe out. that'll be the title. There it is. Aaron, that's probably going to be the title of this one. Don't whore yourself out. <laughs> so for anybody that's, that's listening um, Justin's obviously going to be on a lot more of these and I, I actually love it when I get questions, um, because it means every, obviously everybody's listening, but it also helps. Like I feel when we get, when we get follower questions, it helps us really peel the onion back a little bit more. Like we tried, Justin yeah. and I tried to cover us a, a wide, wide spectrum of, of field producer, how he got into it. What's the pay actually like? What's it being a subcontractor versus a full-time? What, what's, what do you actually have to give up? Like we tried to cover the broad, just again, because it's one of the most common questions we get. How do I do this? But if you've, if you've listened to this today and went, man, I wish they would have talked about this more or how does the pay work? Like what do, how do I make my first contact? So I go to film school. Then like if, there, if you guys have questions like that, that's awesome ask us those on our social media. Like we, we always jot those things down. So as we're going through our podcast schedule, we can, we can schedule that. Cause if we get feedback on those, we'd love to talk about it. So if you guys listen to this, got any questions, make sure to let us know. Um, we'll circle up again. Cause obviously Justin and I will be in the field together. We, should, we get two weeks off. It's a big separation for us. So two weeks we'll be back in the field yeah. together. <laughs> we, I don't know if Aaron told you, but we're going to actually record um, some of the deer slam ones too there. Oh, nice. Yep. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. So, Thanks, Justin. Yeah, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, everyone out there, for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.